I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. So welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. I'm actually Dan, not Claudia. I'm guest hosting today because we have someone remotely joining us to talk about uh, her experience and her book. So uh, Madison Carter, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's great to be here and thank you for inviting me. So Madison, you have a book that you wrote called Stop Making Me Cry, A Journey Through Emotional Pain. Uh, this feels like a very personal story, maybe with the names changed to protect the folks involved. Was this an autobiographical book of a survivor story or was this you imagining this? This is absolutely an autobiograph. Autobiograph. I can't. That's a hard one, right? It's a true story. Yeah. And it's um, not imagined at all. Um, the things that happen in the book seem like they're ridiculous and far-fetched, but they are absolutely true. Uh, the conversations are real. Um, they're actually things that were said. And you, you just described it as it sounds ridiculous. So often those of us who have not been in an abusive relationship ask the question, why did that person stay? How could that strong person become involved in that? And it seems like such an insensitive question for those who have been through it. Um, I do want to ask though, because you, you know, again, you called it, this sounds ridiculous. How, looking back on this, how do you think that journey became where someone like yourself who was, did not see abuse in the home, who had good parents, who had a strong faith, who had all this going for her, ended up in this relationship where these things just don't seem real? Yeah, I have asked myself that a thousand times. Um, I think it was a combination of a bunch of different things. I was very naive. I didn't know anything about abuse because I was not abused. Um, I grew up in a loving home. And so when my husband um, started being disrespectful to me, I really didn't know how to handle it. And my personality was quiet, submissive easy to get along with, avoids conflict. So I would just say, I'm sorry, and just try to have peace. And the problem is that with him being a very dominating, manipulative kind of person, he totally took advantage of my quiet, submissive personality and used it against me, took, it, took advantage of me. And um, very quickly became very controlling. 
he saw me as dumb, um, helpless, uh, needed him to make decisions for me, um, stuff like that. So I was just trying to be respectful, be submissive, do the godly Christian wife thing and, you know, be a helper for him. And he used that to control me. Um, he would use fear. He would have these terrible rages. And so, of course, I would, you know, tremble and apologize and try to make things right and please him. But the problem is it never worked. He would just, he would not get better. He would just continue, you know, um, his tactics. When I would try to stand up for myself and try to say how it made me feel, he would apologize and say all the right things and say he knows he needs to change and he knows what he needs to do and all this stuff. And it sounded really good. And I was not really aware that he was not following through. Mm -hmm. There was this long running pattern of him saying and making promises, saying all these good things that he knows that he needs to change and then not seeing results. Mm. He might stop one behavior, but then do something else that was, you know, twistedly similar, um, but not exactly like the, uh, you know, the first offense, you know? So it was very um, manipulative and I was blind to it. I was blind to it because I was very naive and I didn't know to look for red flags. I didn't know what abuse looks like. And so I didn't know I was in an abusive relationship. And as, as I was reading, stop making me cry. I was struck by the, the fact that this wasn't like this high school romance where you were young when you got into this and then you later like found yourself in it. You had been, you had traveled the world. You had gone on mission trips or, or Grace had the character at least. Um, but I, again, it's all true. So I assume this is you. Um, yeah. You know, you, you call, so you called yourself naive, but you had, had traveled quite a bit. This, you were maybe a little bit older than, than some, you know, girls get into these relationships um, kind of a thing before they're 18. Uh, how, how can we help prepare our daughters and sons, our children, so that even after they're adults, that they don't get into that? It's really hard to, to know because I just walked a friend through this. Um, her daughter is in an abusive relationship and she just got married. And her husband was abusive to her before they got married. And her family tried everything in their power to get her to not marry him. Hmm. And they couldn't. She chose to marry this man who is already abusive to her. And she turned a blind eye to it. So I can't say that there is a proven solution mm. to get somebody out of it. There are things that you can talk about. You can try to make them be aware of what abuse looks like, what a narcissist is, what manipulation is, and all this stuff. But if they're in love and they choose to be in it, there's not much you can do. You know, it's heartbreaking to watch it happen. What was helpful for you when your family was trying to help? 
was it helpful to know, for instance, that they were just there? Was it helpful that they backed off? Was it good for you that they tried to stay involved? I mean, as those of us outside of it, like you just watch your friend through, what was your personal experience as to what was good as an ally to them, to you? Um, my family reached out and did everything that they could to let me know that they loved me and that um, they were concerned about me because they saw my husband being rude, manipulative, and controlling to them. So they had their own bad experiences with him. So they thought, how is he treating me and the kids? If he's being that mean to them, how is he being to me? And so when they would ask me, I would always defend him. I would say things are fine, but I was also careful to only talk to them when things were fine. Mm. You know, I wouldn't answer the phone if we were in the middle of a heated fight or whatever and mm. things were bad. So I, I would defend him. I would hide things. And it was good to know that my family still loved me and cared. Um, my, like my sister would send Christmas presents. Um, my mom and other members of my family would write letters just to, you know, keep me in the circle because I felt so isolated mm -hmm. and I felt like there wasn't a way out and I had to stay in and I had to somehow justify to myself why I'm staying in because I, I felt like I couldn't leave. Part of me wanted to leave. And then I felt like I was betraying him and I felt I couldn't, I couldn't really be honest with my family about what was going on because then why am I still in it? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So there was a constant conflict inside of myself of to justify why am I in this abusive relationship and why can't I leave? And what do I say to my family? But my family did let me know that they were concerned about me. I remember one time my sister texted me and she hadn't heard of me for a few she hadn't heard from me for a few months and she said just are you alive she just wanted to know if i'm alive you know because my family was concerned that my husband was capable of killing me and i was too hmm. a lot to unpack let, um, me, let me just add to that my family prayed for me and i really believe that that had an impact on me when I was not even praying for myself, my family prayed for me. And I think that them praying for me opened the door for me to get out. I really do think that because it was at a time when I was in a very low place. Um, the fights were really bad. I was hopeless. I was depressed and I was not praying and I was not asking God to help me, but my family prayed for me to get out and God opened a way for me to get out. So I think prayer is very important and powerful. Yeah. And I very interesting isn't the right word, but, it, but, but very uplifting and very interesting that you stay with that faith. And, and I want to unpack that in a minute here because so often in the book that, you know, the husband would use faith against grace. So I believe again, you know, you, you face that. So I, I want to talk about that in a minute here. Um, but I want to go back to something you said about isolation. You felt very isolated. As I was reading, Stop Making Me Cry, I kept seeing this pattern of, of him moving the family away, further away. Here's this latest thing I want to chase. Here's this latest job. Here's this idea. And he kept moving you away from 
your family and from his family. Right. I mean, my goodness, can you, can you speak to that a little bit, that isolation and how, how that like happened, how that affected you? Just speak to that isolation if you would. Um, yes, definitely. Um, when we first got married, well, when we first talked about getting married and where we would live, um, we talked about living in between my family and his family, and they were about an hour apart. So we thought we would talk about living somewhere in between. Well, then when we got married, we ended up living close to his family and away from my family. And then within the first two or three years, um, he stopped coming around to family things. And then he stopped letting me go around to family things. And my family in tears asked me, why is he doing this? Why is he rejecting us? Um, like we're the black sheep or something. And then when I would say I wanted to go meet with friends, go out to eat with friends, he would put up a big fight about it. And um, he also told me to tell my family that I can't see them because our car's not working, which was a lie. Um, so after the first four years, he moved us away to Texas. So we'd been living in Ohio. And then he wanted to move us to Texas to where his family was. And um, that meant seeing my family a lot less. And so I, I didn't see them for about a year and a half during the first year and a half there. And then I would see them maybe once a year, you know. Um, and then four years after that, we moved to Colorado, and I didn't see them for four years. Wow. Um, so it was, it was, yeah, I think it was intentional on his part because he let me know that he had cut off members from his family, and he was not in contact with his family members anymore. And he indicated to me that I should do the same thing. And I did cut off contact with his family members. And when he told me he wanted me to cut off contact with my family members, I just lost it. And I slid into a deep, dark depression. I just couldn't stop crying. And that was the day that I wanted to die because I couldn't imagine going on with my life and not having any kind of relationship with my family members anymore. And there was days that I prayed for his death because I didn't want to get a divorce, but I thought if he doesn't die, I'm never going to be able to talk to my sisters again and have a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And that sounds really low to say that, but that was how low I was in that mm -hmm. time. I was very desperate. And, and it sounds like there's, I can still hear it in your voice. You know, you've had years of healing and, and yeah. distance, but that has to take you back still. So thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. You know, for any, anybody listening, that's a red flag isolation. Definitely. So um, I'd like to go back to, to the faith side of it. You, you used early in our conversation here already uh, submissive um, <clears throat> on the dust jacket to stop making me cry the submission Christian life she was asked to live left her totally dominated by her abusive husband. Um, but then you also on the, you know, say that prayer helped and that you still pray. 
So <clears throat> what a, gosh, what a, what a complicated relationship we have with Bible verses sometimes, I feel like. Talk to me a little bit about what that looked like in your marriage um, versus about wives submitting to their husbands uh, or being a Proverbs 31 wife. How, how was that used against you? Well, I, you know, started out the marriage thinking, you know, okay, I'm, I'm happy to be married. I'm going to be the best wife and I'm going to be submissive. But within two years, I felt like a shell of the person I used to be. And I had stopped doing a lot of the things that I used to enjoy doing. Um, I used to be very creative and do art and play guitar and sing. And he broke my guitar and he threw away my art supplies. And so the person that I used to be, I was very happy and optimistic. That person was gone within two years. And I um, finally revealed to my mom one day how I cried every day. And this was, you know, before my second child was born. So, I mean, we had not been married three years. And I was feeling like I was in hell every day. And so this idea of being submissive was not working for me. And I thought about leaving him because trying to stand up to him and tell him how I feel and talk to him did not work. Mm -hmm. He was very dominating. He did not listen. And so um, there was this conflict inside of me of um, if I leave, how can God bless this? Because he was my blessing. You know, I had waited a long time. I was 27 when I got married and I felt like he was the one God sent to me. And so for me to now reject God's blessing, how can God bless that? I had that conflict and, and I felt a lot of guilt and shame for feeling that. But I thought about leaving him way back then, but I couldn't find the courage or the plan to do it. And so I stayed. And he, you know, in, in the book, the husband uh, talks about starting his own church. You know, these mm -hmm. church people don't get me. I mean, you know, if a husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home, a husband starting his own church maybe sounds like a good idea. But, I mean, this was another tactic that he was using against you. Is that, is that fair to say? Um, it was, yeah, it was an isolation tactic mm -hmm. to, uh, separate us from other friends and family, you know, from friends that I had made in a church. He wanted his own church, which was very alarming to me because it reminded me, he reminded me of a cult leader. He had all the qualities and he was thinking about how this would make him money how he would organize it, how he would run it. And I just thought, this is not about love. This is not about feeding the sheep or leading the sheep or whatever like that. You know, it, it just, I knew that if he did it, it would be bad. It would be very, very bad. And, and it, it really concerned me. And I prayed for God to end it before it started. And it, it never took off. And I'm very thankful for that. Yeah. And answered prayers where, where they come are, are, very powerful. Um, so, so then on the flip side, and so that's how faith, how Bible verses can be used against uh, a victim, but you haven't abandoned your faith. 
it sounds like you're still very strong in it. Um, you credit prayer from your family. Uh, how is that reconciliation in your heart from the abuse of scripture to staying in the faith? How did that path happen? Well, I did lose my faith for a while when I was married. Um, there was a time when I was in a very low place, hopeless. My husband had told me prayer doesn't really work because you have to, well, if you pray for things, you have to also take action to make them happen. Um, and it, he just gave me these ideas that God doesn't really care about me. What's the use of praying? Um, he was, he said things like Jesus is dead. And I thought, you know, some of these things he was saying, I thought this doesn't sound right. This doesn't feel right. But I was not with other Christians. I was not praying. I was not listening to Christian music. I was not going to church. I wasn't reading the Bible. And so I just became filled with so much confusion. And when I was young and single, like everything was black and white. I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. I knew there was heaven and there was hell. And, you know, I knew absolutes, you know, God is good. Satan is bad. I knew all this stuff. But when I was married, things became so clouded and confused. Everything just became gray. And I didn't know what was right and wrong anymore. And I felt like I lost my faith until I left him. And then I was free to have my faith in God again. And um, one of the things that happened when I was leaving him, we had a long trip from Arizona back to Ohio. And I had that time to listen to Christian music. And one of the songs really spoke to me. And it was a song by Mercy Me called Just Be Held. And the words in the chorus are, when it seems everything, the world is falling apart, it's just falling into place. And I thought, this is the end. You know, this is the worst thing that can happen. My marriage is falling apart. Everything is up in the air. I don't know. It's all falling apart. And God was saying, it's going to be okay. And God used Christian music to speak to me, to minister to me, to comfort me, to bring peace. And so my faith in God came back stronger than ever because he became my source for joy, for healing, for comfort. You know, he became very real to me and the kids and we enjoyed going to church and it became more real than it had been before. Mm. That's a really beautiful arc of a story there. The, how, how real he became to you and that he never left you. Um, thank you for sharing that Madison. Mm -hmm. what, so what does that, so with, with clarity and with your faith restored, what does that idea of submission mean to you now? And how would you help others kind of reconcile that with where you've been? Um, the idea of submission, I think of a verse in the Bible that says to submit to one another. And I think if you're going to be in a healthy relationship, there has to be submission on both parts. It's not about just one submitting to the other. I mean, a healthy relationship is give and take. You know, both parties give. And 
and that that is more healthy than just one party giving you know and so same with love and respect both parties have to love both parties have to respect and both parties have to submit if it if it's not there it's not healthy Concise, well put. <laughs> There's so many Bible studies on that and you just wrapped it up in a nice bow. So Madison, what is it that drove you to writing this book? Why, why did you want to bring your story out to others? Um, I know that my story is not that unique. I know that there's many other women and men who are in abusive relationships and they might not recognize it. But if I tell my story they can look from the outside in and see that what I went through was terrible, was wrong. Even though when I was in it, I didn't see it. You know, I thought, Hey, I can handle this. You know, it's not that bad. And even when I left, I wondered, you know, does the abuse merit me leaving? Um, was it that bad? And so I'm telling the story so that readers can see how ridiculous that is to think that. Yes, it was bad. And if you think, hey, I'm in a relationship, it's not that bad, here are some signs to know. And you'll recognize it as you read my story. You'll recognize if there's anything in your relationship that is unhealthy. Um, I In the book, I list what a narcissist is, I, I give the symptoms for antisocial personality disorder, mental illness, uh, sociopathic, borderline personality disorder, so that people can recognize that these are mental illnesses. Um, I believe that my husband was full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. He was full-blown antisocial personality disorder, and he was bipolar. And I didn't know it at the time, but other women that I've sat down and talked to, and when they read these list of symptoms, they say, oh, now I know that the person I'm in a relationship with has a mental illness. You know, education is key and helps you, you know, recognize what you're up against and how to handle it. So if you want, I can go over a list of some of the symptoms if you want to get into that. But if not, that's fine. Um, sure. I mean, yeah, if you want to, you know, we, we had, we had an interview with um, an author that, that talked about emotional predators and some of that, um, but it's always good to get different perspectives. So what did you find uh, are the red flags for a narcissistic disorder uh, person? Um. Some of the signs for narcissism are an exaggerated sense of self-importance. They think they are the most important person. They are entitled and they require constant admiration. They expect to be recognized for things that other people do that aren't even that high achievements. They exaggerate their talents and they talk about what all they've achieved. They're preoccupied with ideas of success, power, being brilliant or being a perfect mate and they look down on people they believe to be inferior they monopolize conversations they railroad other people they think they're right 
They dominate conversations. They like to hear themselves talk. They belittle others. They see others as inferior. They expect favors and expect people to comply to their expectations without questioning them. They take advantage of others to get what they want. They are unwilling to recognize the feelings of others. For example, if they make someone feel ashamed or fearful or embarrassed, they don't even recognize that. They're very arrogant. They insist on having the best of whatever, clothes, food, vehicle, house, whatever. They can't handle criticism. They become very angry, impatient. Plus, they have tumultuous relationships with others, with their parents or their siblings or their friends. They react with rage to try to gain control and make themselves superior. And they have difficulty regulating their own emotions and behavior. Did you find these... uh red flags like looking back now on, on your on your experience were they all there at one time did they rotate was there only certain things you know how can someone look at look at that list and know that you know they need to start questioning things in your in your opinion i saw my husband with all of these symptoms at one point or another, not necessarily all at the same time, but they are kind of all tied in together. Mm. And so I would say to a person who um, is with a, to a person who is in a relationship with someone who has any of these symptoms, it's a red flag. It's a sign. And you may need to get out or you may need to go into counseling. I don't know, but it's, it's a sign. It's a red flag you need to be aware of. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. So, so you wrote the book to help uh, bring your story, as you called it, not necessarily unique. It certainly is happening to a lot of people um, to, to help them. What has been your experience then after writing it and getting this out there? uh, Are you finding people finding hope in it? Are you seeing uh, results? Like what's your experience as a, as an author now? I have had um, several women. Now I, I haven't talked to everybody who's read the book, but several people have told me they read the book and they recognized that they were in a relationship that was abusive. Hmm. And so um, that's, you know, it, it gives hope you know, that it is helping people. Um, especially the last chapter is called recognizing abuse and people have said, I should just, you know, make just that a book and just talk about that because it was very helpful to them. Um, also the chapter on healing is very essential. I feel like you can't have a story about abuse without knowing that there's redemption at the end. God does heal. God does restore. God does deliver. And everything that my kids and I had lost through my relationship with my husband, um, we had lost a lot of things. We'd lost relationships. We'd lost time with family. We'd lost, um, like, you know, bicycle, guitar, things that, you know, used to be precious to us. 
God restored all those things back to us after we left. And it, it was just amazing how God redeemed, healed, and showed me that he was blessing me for coming out of that relationship. I don't think it's God's will for anyone to stay in an abusive relationship. Even if God, may, you think God brought you together in the first place, maybe God did. But if your spouse has chosen a path that is against God's will, why do you have to stay? If yep. he is not walking in God's will, or she, or your partner, or your spouse is not walking in God's will, why do you have to stay? It's not in God's will. So that is some of the signs to look for. Um, gosh, so, so much good stuff, Madison. Thank you so much for writing the book, for sharing your story. What is you know, one last piece of, of hope you want to offer to anyone who might be listening saying, uh, yeah, okay, I get it. Or maybe they're considering buying your book. Uh, what's your biggest piece of advice to someone to, to offer them some hope? Um, you are not hopeless. You are not beyond hope. I know that when you're in an abusive relationship and it feels like you're stuck, remember you have options. There is strength within you and you may not be aware of it, but you are stronger than you think. God has given you strength to get you out of that relationship. If that's, if you're being abused. If you are feeling emotionally drained, mentally exhausted, depressed, hopeless, or trapped, then that is not God's will for you. God does not want you to be abused, oppressed, depressed. He wants you to have an abundant, joyful, successful, rich life. There is more to this life than just surviving. God wants to bless you. God wants to heal and restore everything that's been lost and God wants to heal your mind and it's possible. It's completely possible. It's okay to take care of yourself. You should stand up for yourself. It's okay to get out of the abuse and protect yourself and to protect your kids from the abuse. Uplifting a lot of hope in there. Thank you so much for that, Madison. Uh, mm -hmm. So where can listeners pick up, your book, Stop Making Me Cry. It's available on Amazon. Um, yeah, just go to amazon.com, type in uh, Stop Making Me Cry. <laughs> awesome. We will uh, link to that as well in our episode. Um, again, thank you. I also have a website called madisonrcarter.com. Okay, madisonrcarter.com. And the book is available on there. Yeah. Okay. We'll put both of those links in the show notes. Uh, Madison, thank you again for not only writing this book, but for sharing your story with listeners and offering that hope. Thank you very much. Yeah. Also, you can also get the book at bnforbarnesandnoble.com. Okay. It is available on there. Oh, good, yeah. good. So booksellers around the world are yeah. offering it up. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Thank you for being part of the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me, and it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. 
or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.